This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. Unfortunately, recapping a difficult-to-swallow 21-20 East Carolina loss to the NC State Wolfpack on Saturday in the season opener inside Dowdy-Ficklin Stadium. A lot for East Carolina to build on, which we will get to, and a lot to be frustrated about if you're an East Carolina fan, primarily because this really should have been a victory. It should have been a game ECU won. They dominated the second half. They gave away points on special teams. Uh, they got beat soundly in special teams in basically every phase. It, it was just, it was a difficult, uh, it's a difficult pill to swallow. <laughs> That's the best way to say it. Um, just because you let one slip right through your grasp. It has a very similar feel to last year's South Carolina, UCF, and Houston football games. And you know, before we, we dive too much into this, though, I do, I do want to keep some perspective. I'm sitting here recording this on 8 o'clock Saturday night and, you know, had a few hours to digest it, had a few hours to watch some other football, write some stuff. And let's just think about it from this perspective. For the first time in, in years, every Saturday ECU football has a game, no matter the opponent it feels like East Carolina has a very strong possibility of winning the football game. There's hope every time out. Doesn't matter if they're playing Cincinnati, NC State. Doesn't matter if they're on the road. It feels like for the first time in a very long time, East Carolina can win any football game on a schedule. When is the last time we felt that way? That's much in part due to what this coaching staff, what these players have done over the last three-plus years, now going on year four of the Mike Houston era. Let's not forget that this has been a slow build. This did not happen overnight, um, and we have to keep this in perspective. Three years ago, this this game would have been an absolute shellacking. In fact, it was. in the, the To begin the Mike Houston era, we saw a pretty bad NC State team defeat East Carolina 34-6. to By all accounts... This NC State team potentially could be a top 15 team. Obviously, their preseason ranked there. Time will tell if they're that good. Hopefully, for ECU's sake, they are that good. And if so, 
this ECU team may really have a special season, but either way, this is a much better NC State team than the Pirates faced in 2019. They got manhandled by this time. They stood toe-to-toe with them. They outplayed them when it mattered in the third and fourth quarter. They just did not make the kick at the end of the game. They executed. They got in position. Should have tied it on an extra point. Should have had the opportunity to win at the end of regulation. They were well within field goal range. We'll get into whether or not they should have been more aggressive there. Down the stretch, they get even closer. But a 41-yard kick. Owen Daffer, who's made a game-winning kick before at Navy, 54 yards last November, had a chance to do it again. He just didn't make the kick. He missed the kick. And so we're all now sitting here trying to diagnose, so what went wrong? You know, this whole this whole nail is the answer. Can we replace him at quarterback? Is Donnie Kirkpatrick not the right offensive coordinator? You know, why weren't we more aggressive on defense in certain spots? Yeah, I mean, that's all fair. Like, I get it. That's that's what we do as fans, as people who watch the sport. But if the kick goes through the uprights, and that kick barely missed going wide right on the last kick. If that kick goes over the upright, we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about one of the most historic wins in ECU football history. That's how close it is. And, you know, that that's what makes it so tough to swallow because you're going to replay that vision of Daffer walking up, uh, you know, into his field goal stance and just missing it, just going wide right several times. And that's the frustrating part about it. But we do have to remember this program's come a long way and it's still building. This is not the final this is not the peak. This is still a very young football team in terms of eligibility with sophomores and juniors littered across the roster. Yes, Holton Aylers is a senior. Yes, you've got key seniors uh, on both sides of the football, but this is a team that can still get better this year. This is the team that can build on this moment. Time will tell if it does, but let's keep the big picture in perspective before we dive into the little things and overreact. Um, I think there's a, there's a whole lot to build on, specifically defensively. I saw some promising things offensively. Uh, and let's not forget, this is an extremely good, potentially great NC State defense. Okay, East Carolina went against an NC State defense that allowed 19 points per game last year. They scored just over that. They got to the 20 mark, should have had more. Turned the football over twice. Punt block, you can't give up a pump block for a touchdown against the number 13 team in the country and expect to win, expect to be in the game. It was a miracle ECU was in the game in many regards, heading into halftime, and we'll get more into the special teams. But you know, this, is a, this was a defense that was going to be tough to score on. You saw some issues with the running game. We knew that would be an issue. I thought Holt Naylor's actually played a good game. The problem was Holt Naylor's had two big mistakes. He had two big mistakes, and that's kind of been the thing that's plagued him throughout his career is he'll have great stretches of good play throughout games. He'll just make that one or two bad mistake that really can alter the course of a game. He had the pick on the opening drive, which was not a, uh, a game-changer by any means, but you take potential points off the board there on the opening drive. It was an underthrow. I, I didn't have a problem with the read. He had one-on-one coverage with C.J. Johnson. He just underthrew the football. The other one to Isaiah Winstead, again, not a bad decision. He had Isaiah Winstead open over the middle. It was his second or third progression. He was under some pressure, and the ball just sailed on him. He missed two throws. 
due to accuracy. So, I mean, it's not like it was a decision-making problem for Holton Aylers. He just missed a couple of throws. I thought, <laughs> considering that he had little to no traditional run game at his disposal, and the fact that ECU had to throw the ball on third and medium, third and long several times against a really good NC State linebacking core, really good front, uh, really solid secondary. I thought Holton made some excellent throws at times. You know, there were one or two decisions that were questionable. They actually ended up not being that bad. Like, you know, he didn't make the best read on the goal line throw to C.J. Johnson, I think on first and goal. Luckily, C.J. made the catch, and that ended up not hurting him. There was one or two other plays he wished he could have back. But again, the glaring thing is the turnovers. We've talked about it. And this more was more on just not good throws rather than decision-making, which, you know, you can live with maybe a little bit more than the poor decisions um, if he's, you know, throwing interceptions off off bad reads. So I, I, thought, I thought Holton played good enough for ECU to win. He made the drive when it counted after the pick from Jair Wilson. He cashed it in with the touchdown. And then, obviously, the two-minute drill, he made a great read on the throw to Keaton Mitchell. One-on-one coverage with your running back against a linebacker. You're going to take that any day. Would have liked to seen ECU continue to be a little bit more aggressive there after the big Keaton Mitchell play. You're at the 33-yard line, uh, I, I believe, and had a chance to get closer into field goal range. We're talking about Owen Daffer, who had just missed an extra point you know that his head is in a shaky spot. I know that he's made a game winner before, but really would have liked to seen another throw there. Uh, I get there's a balance. You know, you're trying to run clock. You don't want to let NC State have any time coming back the other way to make a field goal when it's in. But you got to make the kick or it doesn't matter. And I think anything over 40 yards at that point was going to be uh, extremely questionable. You know, why not go for at least uh, – you know, as close as possible, if not a touchdown there. You had no timeouts, so you could throw the ball. You know, the one concern is you don't want to get a penalty. You don't want to get sacked. And then you're, you're definitely out of field goal range. So there is a fine line there. You know, I get it. As a coach, there's a fine line there. But the offensive line and pass protected well all game. They had not gotten a holding penalty in pass pro. You know, I would have liked to seen them maybe take a shot there, uh, at least throw the ball somewhere to try to get a little bit closer. They did end up getting... Uh, fairly close on Holton Ayler's quarterback draw, but still was a 41-yard attempt. And we're talking about college kickers, far from automatic. And Owen Daffer missed it just right, actually hit it pretty good, just sailed to the right. So a difficult pill to swallow. I thought the defense absolutely played its ass off. Um, this defense has a chance to be special. They come at you in waves. They come at you at numbers. You know, there were a few times I would have liked to see an ECU be a little bit more aggressive in the third and longs, but, you know, it's pick your poison because if you do that, then you're you're leaving Devin Leary with one-on-one coverage and easy reads if he can do it in, in a short amount of time. And I thought that, you know, for the most part, ECU's defense played really well. And that, that goal line stand, I mean, that was, I, you know, that was something special, man. The, you know, the fumble they forced was obviously big, but the, the true goal line stand were – you know, it's fourth and goal from the one, and about eight different guys hit the NC State running back in the backfield. That was that was crazy. That's as loud as I've heard Daddy Ficklin Stadium in, in some time. By the way, kudos to the fans. Largest crowd in Daddy Ficklin Stadium history, 51,000. 
and 711, I believe, was the official number. You know, they were loud. I, I was a little disappointed with the start of the third quarter. We actually have a question on this. So we'll go ahead and dive into your questions. We asked for some responses and comments on Twitter. Uh, NC Pirate 13, he says, thoughts on how weak the student section was in the second half. Very disappointing. Look, this has been an issue. I mean, this has always been an issue. Dating back to when I was in school from 2010 to 2014, like the students just, they, half of them leave at halftime, man. It doesn't matter what time the damn game is. It doesn't matter who they're playing. Half of the students are going to leave at halftime. You can write it. Like Steve Logan once said, you can guarantee it. And I don't know like what the deal is with that. Does that happen everywhere? I mean, maybe it does. Maybe it's just an ECU thing. You know, you got dudes coming to the games with, with some gals. Uh, they're, they're looking for a good time, and, you know, maybe the gals convince them to leave at halftime or whatever. But I, I would just, it, it, you know, it is disappointing to look up at halftime in a 21-7 game and see that half of your students are gone at 2 p.m. on a Saturday. Like, y'all have all night to drink. Why are we leaving at 2 p.m. on a Saturday when ECU is hosting the 13th ranked team in the country. So I'll never get it. Those people that leave, they're not listening to this podcast. So they'll never tell me about it. But uh, it is disappointing. I don't have many thoughts on it other than that. So I don't know. It is uh, it is what it is, man. Um, Jay asked on Twitter. He said, did NC State play like the number 13 team? Did they play up to all the preseason hype today? I would say no. I would say no. And I think ECU has a lot to do with that. Again, Devin Leary did not look comfortable. I thought ECU did a good job for the most part of mixing up looks. You know, they fooled him with a big pick late. Demel Hickman came on the corner blitz. Uh, they rolled into a uh, different coverage on the other side, and Leary threw it right to Jaro Wilson, who slid down, read it the whole way. That was also a thunderous pop upon that interception. And that, you know, I tell you what, man, it felt good to be back in a big-time atmosphere again. So let's not take that for granted either. And I hope the fans who showed up keep showing up. Um, I know everybody won't, but it was it was special. But, yeah, I thought NC State did not look like the number 13 team offensively. I tell you what, that running back, I don't know his name off the top of my head. I had to type it in like three or four times and spell check it three or four times each time. And I don't know his name, but he's a player, and he's he's going to be their lead back sooner than later. Um, and, you know, they had the Thayer Thomas kid in the slot. He's big time. Um, Devin Carter out wide. He's all right. They got some pretty good receivers. but And their, their O-line looked good for the most part, I thought. Um, but I, I just feel like ECU's defense was flying around. They played so well in the scheme. Even on runs where NC State got positive yardage, guys were around the football they just weren't maybe tackling as well as we've seen in the past, which first game you sometimes get that. Um, NC State's defense, I thought, lived up to the hype for the most part. I mean, they're look, guys, they're really good against the run, and they were going to take away ECU's run for the most part. We said the the only real way ECU would consistently, or we knew ECU would not be able to consistently run the ball due to the matchups. The only way they would be able to do it is really to pop off a big run or two, and outside of the one Keep Mitchell run from his own goal line. They only had two or three other five-plus yard runs. It was just a struggle to get a surge in the ground game, and a lot of that is due to the NC State defense. So I would say offensively, no. 
They did not live up to their expectations. A lot of that had to do with ECU's defense. And then defensively, I thought they looked apart. They looked about expected. ECU could have had a lot more yardage with some contested catches. You know, Jalen Johnson, Isaiah Winstead had three or four drops early. And I don't even want to call them drops, but they had three or four opportunities to come down with the football where you have true contact. Like, to me, a drop is just, hey, my man's wide open and he drops the ball. You know, when you're getting hit as you catch it and you can't hold on, that's a contested catch you didn't make. And so they had three or four contested catches they didn't make, and that hurt because you need to at least come down with one or two of those in big spots to keep the chains moving. But I don't know. You know, NC State, we'll find out in a couple weeks. They play Texas Tech, and then they go to Clemson. I think we'll have a little bit more information there. But I think they'll be a solid team. To me, I thought they were a, a top 25 caliber team coming into the year. I thought 13 was a little high. But for ECU's sake, as I said earlier, I hope they end up being that good and ECU could have a pretty good season. Bryce says, I'd rather learn and grow from this loss and compete in the conference title than beat NC State. I guess what I mean is this is a long season and we have many games left to make this one a distant memory. You know, I thought Holt Naylor's, and that's a good point, Bryce, because we talked about it going to the game. We talked with ECU offensive coordinator Donnie Kirkpatrick. You know, as great as it would be to beat NC State, and it would be awesome to be sitting here recapping an East Carolina victory. You know, let's be real. The chances of East Carolina going to the college football playoff or an access bowl or something are slim to none. And this game would have been nice to win, but there are bigger things at play here. If ECU wins an American Athletic Conference championship, that's a bigger deal than beating NC State long term. So will that happen? Time will tell. Um, I, I do think if ECU plays defense like it does today and they can clean up special teams and can improve the offense, I you know, I, I think you got a chance to, to really maybe compete and put yourself in that conversation and um, it's going to be an interesting year. You know, we'll see how they, they respond to this adversity right out of the gate. But uh, Holt Naylor said after the game that he expects his team to bounce back, and what they really want is a conference championship. That's why they all came back this year. Um, he also made reference to the point that the Peach Bowl team in 1991 lost its opening game and went on to have the best season in ECU football history. So not, not all is lost despite a very frustrating defeat. All right, we're going to continue with the show and continue with your questions on the other side. You're listening to the Hoisty Colors Podcast. We will be right back. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, welcome back into the podcast. We are continuing on on the Hoist the Colors post-game podcast. 
just to let you guys know, we will have a more in-depth breakdown with this base or uh, this football game. Excuse me. I have baseball on the TV. Um, so that confused me for a second. So uh, this football game, we'll have a more in-depth breakdown tomorrow night on Sunday. We'll post that either late Sunday night or Monday. We'll catch up with Nova Pirate, who is Sean. He's got some coaching background, and we'll get his thoughts on the game before we fully turn the page to Old Dominion. All right, let's continue with your questions. We've got Dylan on Twitter. He says, that defense looks like it could carry us to a conference championship. Kicker is not and will not be a real problem. So uh, Dylan is banking on Owen Daffer bouncing back, which, you know, history shows that he will. Now, I will say this. When I was out at spring practice and preseason camp, the kicking game has not looked good either time. Like the ball has just not consistently come off Owen Daffer's foot very well this offseason. I don't know if he's dealing with something injury-wise or what, but you know he's going to have to rebound. There's no doubt about it. You do have other kickers on the roster with talent. Carson Smith, Leith Margin, Andrew Conrad. So you do have other options if Owen continues to struggle. I think he'll get a shot for sure next week. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um... You know, as far as the defense, I mean, yeah, I think the biggest thing for the defense is they got to stay healthy. You know, we'll see what happens with Deontay Johnson. I asked Mike Houston after the game. He said he's optimistic the injury won't be too long-term. He was the starting nose tackle today. I thought he played really good football. Hated to see Josiah Robinson go down, the Michigan State transfer. I thought he he really had a a really good preseason. You know, you had a nice three-man rotation there at defensive end between, between Chad Stevens, Robinson, and Emmanuel Hickman didn't look good for 55, and we can only hope that it's not as serious as it looked. He's had some injury issues in the past and had a chance to really add some pass rush off the edge. So hopefully for Josiah, uh, it's not serious. But yeah, that's the thing is like this defense is deep, and you want to avoid injuries. You know, they can sustain so much. I mean, college football teams, any team can only sustain so much, but they got to stay healthy. If they do, I think they got a chance to be pretty special. I mean, they're they're deep and they're talented at every spot. And I think you'll continue to see similar performances like we saw on Saturday. All right, Jody says, hate it for the kicker. ECU played a gritty game, and I'm excited for the rest of the season. Special teams needs to right the ship this week, though. Yeah, I mean, special teams, let's be honest, has been an issue – as far as execution with the kicking game since last year, you had the blocked kick against Cincinnati, and which you know was part communication, um, you know, just part, part poor blocking issues in the past. Like it just has not looked good for some time now, and that's a concern because you can't beat good football teams with poor special teams. And I know it drives Mike Houston, Tim Dow's crazy. They're veteran coaches. They put a ton of time into it. And I will say, you know, Tim Douse is the special teams coordinator. But really, I mean, you got all the staff is involved in special teams. A lot of teams do it this way. ECU is no different. If you go out to practice when they're doing special teams, each coach is responsible for a certain phase. And so uh, right now the kicking phase and the operation phase is a problem. You know, with the punting, you can't have – your punter holding on to the ball too long. I mean, that's just that's just stuff that you, you go over from day one, and you, you have to know the operation time. You have to have a feel for what the rush is. If you're doing the rugby-style punting, 
you know, I thought the punting overall was just okay. Um, I don't know, you know, the laces out thing. I don't think it's a huge, as huge a deal as some are making it out to be. But, you know, I guess if you want to get technical, maybe you, if you're Luke Larson, you're the holder, maybe you should work on having more laces out uh, for your kicker when he's kicking the ball. It turns out the laces were pointed in on the field goal and the extra point. I don't know if it has that huge of a deal to do with it. But either way, with a missed kick, here we're sitting analyzing it. And so I I don't know, man. It's just the special teams, though, it's got to get better. They work on it a lot. They'll continue to work on it a lot. That's that's about all you can say. Our next comment comes from Jerry. He says, as the saying goes, there are three phases to the game, and a letdown anyone can beat you. Special teams was the letdown today, but I have confidence that this coaching staff will correct it. Um, And again, I promise you the first thing they'll be working on in practice tomorrow on Sunday will be special teams. And I, I don't have any doubt that over time, hopefully, knock on wood, if you can hear that, hopefully it gets better, uh, especially the kicking phase. All right, Josh Betts, he says, Mason Garcia's role this year, redshirt or backup? Well, based on today, I would say the Pirates are trying to redshirt him. They're trying to limit him to the four-game rule. Holt Naylor's told us after the game he dislocated his shoulder, his right shoulder, his non-throwing shoulder. He came off the field for one play, which you have to do when there's an injury stoppage. Apparently got it popped back in and came back into the game after the one play. Now, Mason Garcia was warming up to go in, along with Alex Flynn. Like Mason was about to go in, then there was a call down to the field. Alex took the the ball and went into the game, or got the opportunity, went to the game. It seems like with the change and the notification that, hey, Holton's only going to be out one play, they kept Mason Garcia out of the game, put in Alex Flynn essentially to go in and run one play. Therefore, Alex, who was already redshirted, he can play in however many games and still redshirt, or uh, not redshirt either way. Whereas Mason, who has a redshirt available, if he only plays in four games, he can redshirt and preserve all of his eligibility. So it seems like the plan right now, anyways, if, is if Holton Aylers can avoid a long-term injury, which again, hopefully does not occur, Mason, they will try and redshirt him, just based upon what we saw today. We heard Donnie Kirkpatrick talk preseason. The offensive coordinator said last year, if he would have known that Holton was only going to miss a play or two in a game like Houston last year, then he wouldn't put in Mason just to waste a game for one play. So today, Mason Garcia did not appear, and that leads me to believe the Pirates are trying to redshirt him preserve his eligibility if he does redshirt he will be a redshirt sophomore next year versus a junior so uh, that is something to keep an eye on throughout the season our next comment comes from nav he says i think this team can be anyone in the country i'm not sure i've ever seen a defense so relentless i think that's the biggest thing about this defense they keep coming at you they come at you in waves they bring energy they rotate players. They keep everybody fresh. Relentless, chaotic, that's a good way to, to approach it. Our next question comes from, or next comment, I should say, comes from Daniel. He says, Pirates played far from their best and still took number 13 to the uh, wire, who also did not seem to play their best, admittedly. How does what you saw impact your season projection for the Pirates? Looks like a competitive team that will fight for a bowl bit again. Any change there? 
I had ECU at eight and four. I had them losing this game. I honestly had this game being a lot like it played out. Um, I didn't have it being as low scoring. I had NC State winning 31-24. And this game went about how I thought it would. Um, I think ECU's got a chance to be very good. I think they're going to be better offensively than what kind of we maybe saw today. We, again, we got to remember NC State is a top 10 defense potentially in the country. Statistically, they're one of the best. You know, like getting off the field on third down, the tackles for loss, all that stuff. So uh, we have to keep that in mind. And they brought 10 starters back. So I still have ECU 8-4. and four. It's what I had them at preseason. Um, the toughest thing for me is the schedule. You play a schedule that's manageable from this point forward for the next four or five weeks, but then you have a stretch that is just brutal. Memphis, UCF, at BYU, at Cincinnati, Houston. That is a tough five-game stretch. Got a couple tricky road games thrown in before that. So I have them at 8-4. I have them beating Houston and UCF at home. I have them losing at, uh, at Cincinnati, at BYU, and I have them losing uh, either a road game at Tulane or USF. And so I have them at 8-4. But, you know, if they play defense like they did, on Saturday, they're going to have a chance to beat anybody. There's no doubt about that. All right, our next comment comes from Zach. He says, I hate it for Owen Daffer. I thought that was one of the best defensive games I have ever seen at East Carolina. How do you think the play calling could have been different to maybe affect some of the three and outs that we had? Seems like we were just running the ball up the middle into a pile. You know, I actually thought there were a number of first down passes called I didn't chart it I haven't gone back and done that yet but if you you know watching it live there were a lot of first down throws called the problem is if you go first down pass you're in second and 10 if you throw an incomplete pass so now your your obvious counter to that would be what good is it to run it up the middle then and get no yardage and still be in the same situation and I certainly agree and there's a reason ECU came out throwing and checked to a bunch of throws they knew they weren't going to have a lot of success uh, with that, just running the ball up the middle. But you still have to do it to keep the defense honest. You can't just drop back and throw it 50 times a game against a secondary and a pass rush like that. So, you know, I, I, I did not have a big problem with the play calling at all. I mean, to me, ECU was outmanned in the trenches against the run. The most encouraging thing for me was how the the offensive line performed in pass pro, which has been an issue in the past against teams like this. So I was extremely encouraged there. NC State's got elite linebackers. They erased the running game in many ways against basically everybody that play. This wasn't any different on Saturday. So you knew ECU would have to go to the air a lot. They did. Um, they kept the run enough there to keep the NC State defense honest. That's why you saw the play to C.J. Johnson go for a touchdown. You saw some other play-action passes lead to big plays. The one thing I did not love, and I don't know if this falls on O.C., quarterback, whoever, fourth and four, you go – NC State brings a blitz, and they go one-on-one -on -one coverage with Jalen Johnson. You take a shot 30 yards downfield. That is about as low a percentage throw you can get. For that spot late in the fourth quarter, would have liked to have seen a better um, – shorter man-beating throw there or something where maybe you have some higher odds. That is a pretty low percentage throw in that situation against a guy who 
you know, I think Jalen Johnson's a solid receiver, but at this point is kind of unproven. So maybe you try to go to CJ, try to go to Ryan Jones, even Shane Calhoun or Winstead there. So that was a little bit of a head scratcher to me. Maybe they like the matchup. Again, not sure, but there were a couple instances where ECU was throwing the ball deep with those one-on-one situations, which I know they like, but still maybe you look for something more higher percentage. You know, outside of that, did not have that big of a play, an issue with the play con. Everybody always wants to blame the OC, wants to blame the quarterback. I mean, ECU had nearly 400 yards of offense against uh, a, a top 15, top 10 caliber defense. So, um, don't have a huge problem with it, to be honest. And if you do, you know, that's your prerogative. I think a lot of people, if they have a huge problem with play con, they're the same ones who beat it over the head every single week and have for a couple of years now. And, look, I'll be the first to say if I question a play or not, um, but I didn't have a huge issue with that today. You know, again, would have liked to seen them be a little more aggressive in that situation at the end of the game, maybe throw the ball once or twice to get closer for field goal range, but – that's about it. Speaking of that, Cameron's got a question on Twitter. He said, why do we go conservative on the last drive and play for a field goal? Probably should have tried to go for a touchdown. Yeah, I talked about this a little bit earlier. I mean, I just think it's a case where ECU felt like, you know, they didn't want to make a mistake where you get a holding, you get a sack, then you're out of field goal range. Again, would have liked to seen them maybe push the envelope a little more there, but there's always risk that comes with that. It's just, you know, you have to, to, to weigh it. Do you want to try and get closer? Do you want to take a shot and risk a turnover or a penalty or loss of yardage? You know, there's, there's pros and cons there. It's always easy to second guess, but would have liked to seen them maybe try something there, but hindsight is twenty twenty. Andrew says, how gritty is Holt Nailers and can he find a wheelbarrow big enough to carry his manhood? Yeah, I mean, Holton said he dislocated his right shoulder, got it popped back in, but it kept popping in and out basically the rest of the game. Man, that's a uh, that's a tough SOB, guys. I mean, he is a uh, he's a warrior. You can disagree with some of his throws or not be in love with some of that stuff, his release, whatever. But you can't question the guy's heart, the toughness. I mean, everything about him. He embodies what it means to be a pirate, in my opinion, and I think he's far from the biggest problem offensively. I know a lot of people send me texts throughout the game, hey, when is Mason Garcia going to play? When is it his time? I mean, there's just so much that goes into it. And Holton is in charge of so much of what's happening on the field, protection, checks, all that sort of stuff, that if you go to Garcia, if you go to somebody else, it's just not going to be the same. You're not going to have the ability to do as much offensively you're going to be more predictable. And with Holton, you have more options. Um, he was targeting almost everybody today in the passing game. He was checking out the line of scrimmage, getting ECU in and out of good stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, he didn't play the perfect game, but what quarterback does. And so I think he's far from the reason ECU lost him for many reasons, was in the position to win the game at the end of the game. He's just got to find a way to eliminate those turnovers. And I think at some point – it becomes two, you know, if Holton kind of is what he is, and if you rely on him to single-handedly try and beat a defense without a running game, you know, he's more than likely going to turn the ball over at least once or twice based on his history. And, you know, most quarterbacks are going to be the same way. You can't ask a guy to go out there against a really good secondary and make a perfect throw every time. So uh, that's just part of it. 
and I thought he played well enough against a really good defense to put ECU in position to win today. All right, Jake says, really pleased with how we looked in the trenches. First time in years we haven't been dominated up front when playing a Power 5 team. Future is bright. Yeah, I thought for sure the biggest area for me, you know, run defense and pass protection, I thought both those units looked solid. You know, running running offense did not look great, run blocking. I thought it was a struggle, but again, we talked about it. NC State really good up front, and they're going to do that to a lot of people. So that wasn't a huge surprise. And, you know, I think if ECU struggles to run the ball against Old Dominion next week, I'll be a little concerned. But I think this was more about the matchup and the running game. And overall, ECU held us on up front, which is a big difference compared to what we saw in 2019. Uh, Nav responds. He also says sustained physicality and violence for four quarters. (laughs) That is a uh, saying for... Mike Houston that he loves to use. And Daniel Olson says, how many games and scholarships is LSU losing for tampering with long snapper Slade Roy? Wow, that's a a loaded question and a good question. Those of you unfamiliar, Slade had a great freshman year as a snapper for East Carolina. And then he transferred to LSU out of the blue basically 12 hours after entering the transfer portal. So clearly something went on there. But hey, that's college football. I'm sure he got paid something. Some sort of behind-the-scenes deal was made. Not a surprise, but uh, he's now at LSU if you want to check him out in a different purple and gold. All right, Brian says, can we please teach the band that you should not really play while on offense or when kicking a field goal? I I didn't realize this. The, the press box is kind of soundproof, so I can't hear the band but so well, but if they're doing that, especially during a field goal, then, you know, that's – what are we doing, guys? Got to have better football IQ. You know, I'm not in charge of that, but uh, hopefully can, somebody can get that message to the band director. And our final comment of the day comes from JD. He says, we need to figure out a way to rally behind Owen Daffer. Could be a dangerous time for that young man. Any thoughts on how to send him positive thoughts would be greatly appreciated. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'll just say this. Owen, and I don't know Owen extremely well, but the guy comes off as the nicest guy in the world. Extremely... Um, extremely full of class during our interviews with him. You know, interesting guy to talk to, nice guy to talk to. Like, you know, you can be mad about what happened and the fact that ECU missed a field goal and blew a chance at winning the game. But you can't take personal shots and you can't attack a young man who's in college not even getting paid, you know, if this was the NFL kicker, it would be one thing. Yeah, he's making cost of attendance, whatever. Maybe he has an NIL deal, maybe he doesn't. But he's on scholarship, okay, that's great. But he's not, you know, he's not an NFL kicker, guys. I mean, the guy's trying his best. He doesn't go out there trying to lose the game. And think about it, if this was your son, if this was your child, you know, would you want people spewing venom at him over a game? And I get it, it's a big deal. But let's have some class as a fan base. I mean, what are we doing? You know, you can get emotionally invested in a game and be mad at the result. But you have to separate that from attacking a person, going after him personally. Like, how classless do you have to be to send some death threats or something like that at a college student athlete? I mean, 
let's be better than that. Um, you know, as far as reaching out to Owen, I think just messages like this, you know, whether it's friends or family, I don't know. They're probably all turned off social media and for good reason. I would turn it off right now. But reach out to him if, if his DMs are open or anything like that. He may have shut it off because it's, you know, he's bound to get some BS from dumbasses. But, you know, I, I just hope that the majority of Pirate Nation, I shouldn't say the majority, I, I would hope the majority is, but the vast majority outside of a select few who aren't even really fans, if you're going after a kid like that, in my opinion, let's just be better. Let's, uh, let's support Owen Daffer, whether he you know, ends up having a great year or a bad year, you know, and you should do the same for everybody in purple and gold, everybody for your team. You know, this is not NFL. This is not the pros. Um, many of these guys work their tails off in the classroom, spend countless hours off the field, watching film, lifting weights, you know, to do this for your university. Okay. He missed a kick. You know, last year he made a kick. He was the hero. This time he just missed it. He wasn't trying to miss it. It happens. All right. So let's remember that and let's just be let's be better as a fan base. How about that? And I'll close the show with that. Again, tough loss for East Carolina. They fall twenty one to twenty to the NC State Wolfpack. We will be back in the coming days as we dive further into this game and take a quick look ahead to Old Dominion. But I hope you guys enjoy the show as we shared some of your comments. Thank you guys for the questions, comments, concerns on the social media page. We'll be back with you in the coming days again. Thanks for listening. Now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.